It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome again. Matt Hausman, your host for the Smart Money Questions Podcast and Happy New Year. Can you believe it? This is actually posting on January 2nd, 2020. And one thing I was thinking about, can you believe this? It was 20 years ago that everybody in the world was freaking out over Y2K. What in the world is going to happen? The microwaves aren't going to work. No, who knows what's going to be on TV, computers. They're all just going to blow up and we're going to go back living in caves. It's really hard to believe now, 20 years later, two decades, 2020 is here and upon us. And it's it's kind of crazy when we think about it on how different the world is today and all the technological advances. I mean, good night. We wouldn't worry about anything like 2K now with the advances in technology, the, the phone that you're holding. And back then we had flip phones. Heck, there weren't a lot of people. Maybe they didn't even have phones. And Now everyone's got a smartphone that's more powerful than most computers. So listen, everyone, I hope you guys had a great holiday season and you are looking forward to 2020. I just, I still, I can't believe it, but we're here. So let's go ahead and move forward. And today I've got a couple things I want to share with you that have come about over the course of the last quarter of the year that I think will really be helpful. So just to kind of go back over what we do here, a couple times a month, I jump on this podcast and we put it up there. And what we want to do is we want to take the experiences that we have in our office, either answering questions that clients might have or people that are looking to potentially engage with us with our services and take that information and make sure that we are giving it out there, that you're getting value from it as a way to make sure that you're asking the right questions, the smart questions. And sometimes it's not just about money, but invariably money is around us all the time. It is the tool that we all need to live today. So really every question that we're looking to have, more than likely in some form or fashion, is gonna come back to money. And so what I wanna do today is go over some questions that have happened, some things in the news that have happened over the course of the last quarter to help us understand the right questions to ask. But before we jump into that, let's go ahead and make sure we deal with a disclaimer. Please don't take any of the information or ideas or suggestions that I offer in today's show as direct advice for you. Please use it as information and education that you then can discuss with your advisor. Now, If you don't have an advisor or you would like for us to be your advisor, I'm more than happy to have that conversation with you. And it's real simple. All you have to do is go to www.speakwithmatt.com. That's www.speakwithmatt.com. And my online scheduler is right there. You can go right in. You can schedule a 15 or 30 minute phone conversation. And quite frankly, at the end of that first call, we're going to have a good idea. Does it make sense to have a second conversation. So again, very low key, go right into the online scheduler. You don't even have to get on the phone with anyone to schedule this. So again, speakwithmat.com, www.speakwithmat.com and schedule it there. So, all right, let's go ahead and get on to today's show. 
Okay, before we jump into the questions, I did have something that came up I thought was pretty interesting. And I, I saw this. It was, you know, you always hear about the weird news that's out there or the crazy things that are happening. And one thing that happened recently or in the fourth quarter of last year is a woman passed away in California at the age of 102. Good night. She lived a full life, I hope. And what ended up happening, though, when she passed away is her heirs had to deal with DirecTV giving her an early termination fee of $160 because she broke the contract before the term was up. I saw this, and you know, I guess one of the questions I would never think to ask with any of the service providers that we engage with, our cell phone, our TV, our internet, is, hey, listen, in the event I pass away in between the contract, are you going to charge my estate a early termination fee? Now, I will say this, is that after some complaining by the heirs, DirecTV did apologize and did not charge her that. But just still the fact that they had to go through it. But it just, it kind of made me chuckle. Man, I that's not even a question I would think about. I would assume if I'm no longer here, regardless of what the contract states, I'm not paying. <laughs> so anyway, I came across that and thought it was pretty funny. But listen, let's jump into some, uh, one thing that came about in the news recently, or in uh, last quarter, is uh, something that we get, discussions with clients about a lot. And that is President Trump ended up moving his residency from the state of New York to the state of Florida. Now, we don't want to get into the political reasons, but many times it could be more of a tax reason. And we obviously know that New York has pretty high state taxes in various forms, income taxes, capital gains, things of that nature. But when we look at why did he make that change? Why did he move his residency to Florida. And by the way, I'm not going to go through all of the legalities around what it takes to establish new residency, because obviously he's going in multiple, uh, working in multiple states and obviously the District of Columbia. But many times clients will talk to us about the fact, hey, listen, I've got a home in multiple states. What makes the most sense for me to declare my residency? It's a great question because... You always hear me talking about tax planning, and if there's any way to do tax planning, it's looking at how our resident state, if we have multiple states that we can be a part of, is what's going to be the most beneficial way for me to reduce my overall tax cost. In this case, he went from New York to Florida. I'm going to use the example of clients we have right here, let's say in Pennsylvania, Maryland, or Delaware, and they have a property in Florida. Uh, most of you know I grew up down in Florida. I still have family down there. And so I'm very familiar with what the rules are down there. And so in this case, many times it could make sense if there's a way for us to legally be down there. We have another residence. We're going to be down there often to go ahead and declare Florida as our residency. And many times it's going to negate the income tax question, except for let's look at the state of Pennsylvania. In the state of Pennsylvania, if a lot of my money is being distributed to me from qualified retirement plans or Social Security or pension, Pennsylvania does not actually charge any state income tax on those distributions. So then I'm only responsible for, at the state level, any capital gains or rental income, interest, things of that nature. But when we look at where our income is coming from, well, Maybe it doesn't make a lot of sense to go ahead and change our residency from 
Pennsylvania to Florida. If we look at Maryland and Delaware, they do have state taxations, but they have exemptions on certain amounts of money coming out of those different accounts. The other thing we would want to look at is maybe some estate planning. Does it make sense for us to be in Florida versus those other states I just mentioned or wherever you are living or wherever you are looking to have a second resident is in the state of Pennsylvania, you've heard me speak multiple times and you would want to check your state is, is there an inheritance tax or an estate tax in the state of Pennsylvania? We have that in the state of Florida. They do not have that. So in that case, maybe it does make sense for us to change our residency. But one of the things we really want to look at is, first of all, what is the legal process of making sure that when we're establishing that residency that it's going to hold up, that we're doing everything right, and that it really is going to benefit us. And that's where you really have to look at where our assets are, what's our distribution plan going to be, um, how often are we going to be going back and forth, really looking at what's going to be the, and really this is just numbers, understanding the rules and what are the numbers? Am I really going to be able to save money in doing that? So one of the things we can look at from President Trump going from New York to Florida, Florida doesn't have a state income tax of any type. Is So then that would negate if there is income to be taxed versus New York versus Florida. Obviously, Florida is going to win that battle over the state of New York. I remember when I was up in New York, New York always wants their money. That's for sure. So this could be a way that he is looking at doing some overall tax planning. But when you're looking at this, you really want to speak to tax professionals to know, does it make sense for me to go through that process of changing my residency? Obviously, if you're just looking to move somewhere, then those options aren't there. But if we are looking to move, I remember last year, 2019, I had a client that, uh, received a new job opportunity and we were looking at the pros and cons of because he was going to have to move out of state he's going to have to go from south carolina to north carolina and did it make sense to go there we looked at cost of living uh, we looked at housing costs we looked at taxation cost was it more beneficial for he to for him to be in north carolina versus south carolina when you take all of those things into consideration. So one of the things you really want to be aware of because you don't want to move there and all of a sudden, you know, even in his case, he was getting a good promotion. He was getting a good bump in pay and additional benefits is you don't want to do that. And then you find out that you're losing a lot of it to cost of living, to housing costs, and most importantly, to tax costs. So one of the things we really want to make sure we're paying attention to. The other question I had came from Helen in Maryland, and this is something that many times when people will come in and engage us and they have already retired, is this question comes up a lot. And Helen's question is, my husband's military pension is a very nice monthly benefit, but after he dies, I don't get a penny of it. In retrospect, this was a mistake, but it's nothing that we can change now. How do we address this problem moving forward? Listen, everyone, if you're in the situation of getting a pension or even even if you don't have a pension, when you're looking at, let's say, Social Security and your overall asset base that you're going to draw on, survivorship planning is so important. It's really hard to believe that just a couple days ago, uh, is the anniversary of when my dad passed away in 2011. It's hard to believe it has already been eight years since that time that he passed. 
And my mom is still here eight years later. Now, my dad wasn't eligible for a pension, but luckily we did do survivorship planning, looking at many different things and put some stuff in place. But it's definitely something that you want to plan for because many times or many of you have heard me say this is that, you know, when one spouse dies, the expenses do not go down 50%. And so survivorship planning is so important. And and so, Helen, what I would tell you is let's talk about this right now. Well, first of all, let me address something is if you are in the situation of getting a pension, please make sure whether you talk to me or you talk to another advisor or uh, potentially somebody from HR, whoever it is that or wherever you're going to be getting your pension is make sure that you are asking for all of the payout options that you are entitled to. Many times they're only going to send out, or this is what we have seen over the course of the last five to seven years. The companies or the clients that are have the opportunity of a pension is the initial paperwork that they receive only has a couple of options that are there. But many times there are so many more payout options to the participant that the pension is for and the spouse of that person, but you have to ask for it. And they usually have to go through another set of calculations to forward that information out there. Make sure that you are paying attention and that you understand what those options are, what the amounts are, and what they mean. There's many different terms that are listed on there and you really want to make sure that you understand that so you are making a very informed decision when you elect that pension because as Helen says most of the time 30 days after you have elected that pension it is irrevocable your decision cannot be changed but anyway let's jump into Helen is there a way that we can address this problem now well Helen the only thing that I can think of right now that could be an immediate fix would be the utilization of life insurance. Now, what this means, though, is that your husband, since the pension is in his name, he needs to be insurable. You would want to calculate how much, you know, how much insurance do we need and how long is that insurance going to be needed to provide the income that I'm going to lose. Because based on your question here, it sounds like the pension is a very healthy pension. I'm just going to use the number $50,000 a year. And what I tell clients is when you're looking at life insurance, as in this case, we call it a pension rescue plan. We're going to rescue the fact that the surviving spouse doesn't have a pension. We need to create an asset that's going to do that. How many years are we planning for? In this case, my mom has been alive eight years beyond my dad. We're still obviously planning on her living longer. She's in good health. You want to analyze your own situation there. And then you want to understand if I'm going to use life insurance, what type of life insurance am I going to use? Am I going to use permanent insurance, which is going to be in the form of some type of, uh, we'll say a whole life, a universal life, indexed universal life, variable life, some type of permanent, meaning indefinite, timeline of the insurance, that's going to be more expensive because the company is more on the hook for paying that out. As long as you're paying the premium, you are entitled to that. The other type, which is a little less costly, is term insurance. 
But it's exactly what the name says. It's only going to be around for a certain term, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, whatever you're looking to have that coverage for. So if we go back to the $50,000, and let's say we're wanting to make sure that we are covered for a 10-year period of time, that means we're looking for a life insurance policy with a $500,000 death benefit. And so using those two forms of life insurance, I would tell you to go out, price them out. This is, up, of course, if he's healthy, is you know see what they're going to be. Um, go through the process. You're going to have to do a physical and they're going to pull medical records and those things. But take a look at what it is and see if it is affordable. Many people that I talk with, they think that post the age of 70, insurance just becomes uh, outrageously expensive. I'm not going to say it's cheap, but it's not necessarily out of the ballpark. Now, if your husband is, you know, approaching over the age of 75, 78, 80 years old, yeah, that is, that's going to be probably cost prohibitive. But if we're still in our 60s, life insurance, even now, Helen, can be a way for you to address this problem. But you want to do those calculations to see how much do I need? Can I fit it into my budget? And then if possible is, let's say I'm going to go with the less expensive route of term insurance. How long do I want that term to run out? And let's say we are going to go down that road. We're going to get a 10-year term for $500,000 is now we, in addition to the planning that we just did for the next 10 years, we still want to do some planning because the idea is hopefully he lives beyond that 10 years and what's it going to look like after that. And so that's where you can get into additional planning of maybe we should reduce our expenses now or reduce our spending now. So we are putting money aside for, because the reality is most people hear me say, guys, we go first statistically. And so we, we know that he, that more than likely that pension is going to be gone. So what are the things we can do now if life insurance isn't an option, or if it is, and we're going to do term insurance, now we're planning for the 11th year and beyond is what can we be doing, reducing our costs, taking another bucket of money, pulling some of our investments out, maybe investing in a different way to make sure that we are planning for that survivorship income. It is so important to do. And the last thing I'll say, Helen, is in the event you go down the road of utilizing some type of permanent insurance, one of those uh, whole lives or universal, indexed universal or variable life, is make sure that you understand how the advisor or the agent, if you're dealing with just a life insurance agent or a, a company directly, is how are they designing the policy? What are the assumptions that they are making so you are, you're getting a policy, you're paying into a policy for exactly what you think you are. And the, there aren't crazy assumptions that are being made. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to just deplete here in the next 12, 15 years. And you put all that premium in and now it's not there. So just make sure that you do understand that in the event you go down that road of permanent insurance. But, you know, Helen, hopefully this has been helpful and it will get you down the help you go down the road of asking these questions, looking at these different options to go ahead and ease your mind of being able to plan for in the event your husband predeceases you, how are you still going to live if you are the surviving spouse? So hopefully that's been helpful. 
The next one comes to us, and all it was addressed as is confused in Texas. And it says, I'm a little overwhelmed by how many accounts we have. We've moved around to a lot of different jobs. I think between my wife and I, we have six 401ks, three IRAs, two Roth IRAs, two small pensions, a 403B, and then some individual stocks and whatnot. <laughs> wonder what whatnot is. Uh, it's getting hard to manage, and I don't even know what we're invested in in all of those accounts. How much do you think we can consolidate and how will all of that work? Well, it's interesting that this question actually came through on the uh, uh, through Smart Money Questions because I had someone in my office literally just about four weeks ago, and she said that she was in the process alone by herself. She was consolidating 14 different 401k and IRAs, and it had been taking her over nine months to complete. I think she said she had already done 11, so she still had some more to go. But confused, let's talk about this. What what can we do? Well, this would be my suggestion to help you not have all of this paperwork to at least understand what you are invested in is consolidating them all, especially if these are past accounts or, or past 401ks, all into one IRA for you one IRA for your wife. You mentioned that you have two Roth IRAs. If they're both, let's say, in your name, you consolidate them into one. If they're one's in your wife, one's in yours, well, then you already have that there. The pension plans, more than likely, unless you are eligible for the pension now or they are giving you a buyout option prior to that age of being eligible, is that money's probably just going to have to stay there. It's in the pension plan, just to let you know it's invested with them. And uh, at some point in time later on, you will be eligible either to take that payout or if they offer a lump sum, take that amount. In terms of the 403B, you can lump all of that into whatever IRA that 403 belongs to. Let's say it is uh, yours, then that can be rolled into your IRA. And what you're going to want to do is with the 401ks and the 403b is you're going to have to reach out to each institution and find out what their process is to do a qualified transfer to the IRA. They're all going to have their own rules. They might have specific paperwork that you fill out. You're going to give them instructions on where you want to send it. I believe I did a podcast just uh, in December or November dealing directly with how to do 401k rollovers or 403b rollovers without creating a tax consequence. But what I would tell you confused is you want to bring all of those into, again, one IRA for you, for your qualified, your pre-tax retirement dollars in those different 401k accounts that are yours, that you own them, and then the same for your wife. Uh, the Roth IRAs, bring those into one. If they both belong to, let's say you or both belong to your wife, bring those into one or keep them separate. The pension plans, what I would do is I would reach out to the pension plan, find out, you know, they should be giving you annual statements as to what's in that account for you, uh, what your potential future uh, payout's going to be when you're eligible for that. Reach out to them and see what the options are, if any, uh, for the payout or if there is a lump sum. With regards to the individual stocks, you can uh, look to bring those in. I'm assuming those are after-tax 
investment stocks, bring that into a traditional 401k. And what you can do is you can bring all of these accounts under one custodian. So I'm going to use, for example, I'm going to use Schwab. And so if we have an IRA at Schwab, we can bring it all there. And then we have a Roth IRA at Schwab. And then we have a brokerage account at Schwab. That way you have one custodian with three distinct accounts with different tax characterizations. And then you can look to manage what it's actually invested in and really be able to take a hold of all of where your money is invested and do it more precisely and with understanding on exactly what it is you're doing instead of getting, yeah, I think I counted it. What is this? Good night. About 14 different accounts. You're probably getting statements, either email or snail mail. And that can just be overwhelming. I know the woman that was in, I think it was uh, in late, late November, early December. That's what she was talking about. It's just consolidating it because the paperwork was just unbelievable. But most importantly in the consolidation is it's going to give you the understanding. One of the things you mentioned there is I don't even know what I'm invested in. And that is so important is we want to understand what it is we are invested in. And so I think in initially deciding on a custodian, looking to contact those different 401k and 403b companies, what is the process to do the transfer and then doing the transfer and looking at whose accounts are whose, creating those accounts, bringing the transfer in. I would, quite frankly, I would probably bring them all into cash and then decide either you're going to work with an advisor uh, or yourself and you're going to self-direct it is then you can figure out exactly how you want to invest the money. So that's what I would do. And I would definitely move forward with that. It is so important. Uh, to do to help give you more peace of mind, more clarity, and uh, an understanding on what it is you have and what you are investing in. So confused, hopefully that gives you a roadmap on what you need to start working on now so you are not confused after you have completed all of that. Well, listen, everyone, that's all I've got today. I hope this has been helpful. If you have a situation or a question that you would like for me to address on the show, all you have to do is go to smartmoneyquestions.com and there is a form there that you can fill out, comes right to us, or you can simply shoot us an email, info at smartmoneyquestions.com and we will make sure that we address that. If there's a situation that you would actually like to talk to me about personally, as I mentioned earlier, you can go right to speakwithmat.com or come to smartmoneyquestions.com. You're going to see a little tab at the bottom. It says Speak With Matt. Go right there. My online calendar is there. You can schedule a quick 15 or 30-minute phone call. I'm more than happy to jump on a call with you. My calendar is right there. So listen, everyone. It's here. 2020 is here. I hope you are looking forward to it. I know we are. We are looking for great things and great happenings in 2020. So listen, everyone, hopefully it's been valuable. We will talk to you soon. Everybody take care. Thanks.